0: It's another great day in the history of Guernsey's harbours. Welcome to the Guernsey Press Politics Podcast. My name is Helen Bowditch. We are a deputy free zone this morning because all our politicians are in the State's Assembly debating the future of the ports. But I'm delighted that Kay Leslie, the Executive Director of the Chamber of Commerce, is here. And John Cook, who works in the super yacht sector. So Kay, should we start off by talking about the harbours? You've come um, appropriately dressed. you, in your, in your stripy Breton top there. What are your thoughts about the
1: harbours so far? Yeah, well, actually, this is... I'm weatherproofing myself in our Guernsey summer. Thanks, Helen. Um, my thoughts about the harbour so far are that I'm really, really hoping that it's going to be a cohesive, coordinated approach. It's beginning to look a bit that way. Still a feeling that maybe, you know, there's a bit of power grabbing going on, to be perfectly frank, but um, I'm hoping that the potential the sector will be seen and rather than just considering provision of fuel and freight that we can capitalise on an amazing opportunity for Guernsey.
0: And John, I've got to ask you about your job. And and by the way, when I said to Kay, oh, do you know anyone else that could come on the podcast with you? She said, oh, well, I know this chap who works in super, super yachting and uh, he's very interesting. And I that was all I needed to know. I was like, bring him in. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's very kind of her to say that, isn't it, really? Uh, yeah, I've, I've been involved in super yacht industry or sector. You're right to call it a sector. It's not an industry. Okay. As, uh, as somebody reminded me many years ago, uh, the deputy S- secretary of Nautilus... The trade union when we tried to get him involved in a a piece of legislation that was being developed by the international labor organization called the maritime labor convention and uh, he came down to the south of france uh, uh, where we were and uh, reminded everybody it's not an industry it's a sector so that set the tone for all the discussions typical trade union. but i've been involved heavily since uh, 2003 um we have a company a guernsey company that employs crew on yachts and we do other work as well we do consultancy work for other companies social security and on the maritime labor convention so uh, it's an interesting interesting industry i would like to call it but as you say it's a sector uh What's my view on the harbours? I just don't think there's any really joined, joined up thinking um, on it. I think that they've, they want to redevelop uh, the main port. They want to create a new one down at Longhue, but they don't actually know what the benefits are going to be. And if I was doing it, I would move uh, all freight, all passenger ferries down to St. Sampson's. Uh, the freight, because that's where all the warehouses are. Makes a lot of sense. Um, passengers as well, I, was, I would move down there. And then I would um, I would build um, a cruise line terminal, a key. Um, and the reason for that is if it's good enough for Monaco, it's good enough for us, because they did it quite a few years ago. And I would ch- turn the main port into uh, a place where yachts can visit, because the northern shipyards that build yachts in particularly Holland and Germany, uh, building uh, probably this year, somewhere in the region of 30 to 40 yachts. And you may say, well, that's not significant. But in 2008, before the financial crash, the average size of a new yacht being built was 30 meters. In 2012, because of the introduction of the Maritime Labour Convention, the average size of a new build yacht was 50 metres. Right now, the average size of a new build yacht is 70 metres. So with 70 metres, you get you know somewhere in the region of 25, 30 crew. may not sound significant, but average earnings in Guernsey is, what, 35,000 a year, as published by the States recently. All those people have mortgages, you know, or rent, a car. Some of them have kids. They pay for their food, pay to go on holiday, all those things. Average super yacht earnings, all the way across the board, is probably 60,000 a year. Most of them don't have kids. All the food is paid for on board. Uh, A lot of them get travel allowance to to fly around. Most of them don't have mortgages. <clears throat> A few captains do, but then they're earning significantly more money. So when they come here, that's all net spendable income that can be put into the economy. But if you don't build it, they won't come. It's like the old Field of Dreams film, isn't it? You know, If you build it, they will come. And I believe that that's what will happen because all those yachts come past here to go down to the Med. And they'll go back up for warranty work, and then other yachts will go up to be refitted, and all that traffic is coming past us. But we've had a couple of yachts that wanted to come here, but there's nowhere really for them to go. We've had the few, the odd super yacht come into the port, but it's it's a fraction of what could come here, and the revenue that that generates for the local economy will be significant—not just for fuel, um, but also provisioning, chandlery. The crew going out, eating, drinking, spending money in the shops. That's what you want to see, yeah. So
0: it's a, it could be a big earner for Guernsey, the, oh, the, yeah. having, having these people. Yeah,
2: I mean, we don't necessarily want the yachts to come here and stay here. You know, we want them to come for a week, maybe, you know. Um, and a lot of the crew like um, active sports, so they like windsurfing, kitesurfing, you know, diving, all that. And we've got all those facilities here. But in order to make it work, you have to go out and market that to those northern shipyards and to the captains that are building those yachts there at the minute. And just to give you an idea, we have clients building five yachts at the minute in the northern shipyards, the smallest of which is 40 metres and the largest is 118
0: and it sounds very glamorous working in the, the super yacht industry. You're probably going to tell me that it's not that glamorous, though.
2: <laughs> if you ask most crew, they're tired most of the time. You know, people, it is an, it is an interesting area to work in and most of the crew most young crew will come in and work for a few years accumulate money and then go and do something else there are some though that will stay in it and they want to progress particularly deck through through to officer captain etc or master Um, and uh, those people are the ones actually that will be interested in the kind of thing the facilities and services and, and everything else that we have to offer here so I think that uh, there was a report recently, I think it was in Super Yacht magazine, saying that there are more large yachts being built now than ever before. And and the other thing that's happening is that there's more explorer yachts being built than ever before. And some of those do um, re, uh, oceanographic research as well. You know, there's a number of programmes that do that. So it's, it's like um, a half... Um, the ship, because that's what they really are at this, this stage, you know, you're talking 80 meter plus vessels. So half of it is very commercial. You know, you've got submersibles, dive equipment, uh, probably a decompression chamber and all the other toys that go with it. And then above, uh, you know, guest accommodation is all. Uh, what we would call white boat accommodation, you know, it's absolutely incredible. So there's a number of those projects.
0: And do you get to meet oligarchs and things like that?
2: Couldn't possibly say because <laughs> if I did they'd probably kill me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> good point, okay. <laughs> and when you said before about sort of moving freight and things to St. Sampson's, do, do you mean a, a new port at Long Hoog or do you think St. Sampson's Harbour? No,
2: I, th- I think a, a new port is a good idea and and uh, yeah the thing that's i've been down to see the plans and the thing that kind of frustrated me was there was no real detail in it so how are they going to build it what methods are they going to use um when monaco extended its port and it's just reclaimed six hectares of sea a place called portier which is just opposite the entrance to the tunnel for the grand prix you know you i'm sure you've all seen that um what they did, they used the thing called caisson construction technology to, um, well, to extend the port. They used that and, uh, and also to build the initial barrier to, to create the um, reclaimed sea. Just to put that in perspective, you can build 200 metres of caisson um, blocks in a month. Okay. Now, Aberdeen extended one of their ports um, a couple of years ago. So what they did was they, they, um, the caissons were built in La Coruña in Spain. So they built them on the side. They were floated into the sea, uh, however many it was. I can't remember now. And then they, uh, Dockwise, which uh, provides transportation around the world, including yachts, they take yachts and they, they semi-submerged them, the yachts go on, and they take them over to the Caribbean. Quite interesting stuff. Uh, but what they did was they brought this, um, this vessel into the port, they semi-submerged it, they floated all of the caisson blocks on top, re it, tied them all down, and then that off went off to Aberdeen. They unloaded them all, but just by doing the reverse. So it was quite interesting. So, and of course, you know, one of the arguments that we hear, well, you know, Guernsey's got an unusual tide. It's not the only place in the world that's got an unusual tide. So I I believe that, you know, looking into the right technology is is important.
0: And there's been a lot of emphasis on the cost. It's going to cost £361 million and where are we going to get this money from? But from what you're saying, it's worth it.
2: Yeah, that's my personal view, yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and Kay are you sort of excited by the the vision I mean this it would transform St Peterport wouldn't it It would make all, all the, the cafes
1: and the restaurants and uh, you know that that focus on the blue economy I, th- I think it's a very I think it's the most exciting potential that we have because one of the thing one of the red flags for me around lockdown actually was that the finance industry which is obviously so important to us at the moment just moved online and worked remotely instantly And that was an interesting situation, because I thought, so if they can relocate and work remotely that easily, how easily could they actually decide to to, to relocate more broadly? We know it's been happening. We know through consolidation and for various other reasons, there is shrinkage. and And it's not to denigrate the industry that it's really valuable. It's been an amazing part of Guernsey life. It has brought its own problems also. But we are in an Ireland, and I think sometimes when we get caught up in our sort of global brand as a, a an offshore centre, we forget that we're, here we are surrounded by sea in the Bay of Saint Malo, and when you think broadly about the potential, some of it's um, geographical, as as John says, you know we are very fortunate to be just off the coast of France not far from the south coast of the UK. And that brings with it huge potential. I mean, the other thing is that marketing is so crucial because we've been talking to Economic Development about the fact that they have agencies that promote working in Guernsey and they have agencies that promote um, visiting Guernsey. But actually, you need to join it up. So if you're going to be talking to these, you know, major businesses um, in in holland or you know wherever in scandinavia or wherever there's an interesting connection for guernsey you have to present yourself as a fantastic place in which to work and live it's got to be joined up and and we do feel strongly about that that you can't sort of hive off because all of us think about how we live wherever we work and what sort of work we want to do where we want to live so it's there is no separation around that and We don't think it's really quite cohesive enough because if you join that up, then everyone that you're dealing with becomes a bit of an ambassador for Guernsey and your reach extends and then you get interesting things happening simply on the back of that without anything more complicated.
0: And do you like this
1: idea that they agreed in
0: the States yesterday to have this independent... Entity which is going to be in charge of sort
1: of driving the project forward. I do, and actually, I was really pleased because it was a chamber summer party last night. And to their credit, all of the quite exhausted states members, most of them came down, but nearly all of PNR and Economic Development came down, and we we caught up about you know how they felt about everything. I think the caveat for me is uh, I'd like a definition of the word independent, because independent to most of us, I suspect, means a genuinely separate body which can feed in politically but which is manned by people with expertise not even necessarily from Guernsey. I mean, we're fortunate to have people like John in the island. There are other people who've moved in who have Guernsey connections. But what I think would be dangerous, and to be perfectly frank, I wouldn't want to see, is a sort of pseudo-independent board which involves the same people who have put forward the proposals which have not found particular popularity in a large part of the House and which I think don't necessarily capitalise on the on the broad potential for the island.
0: And John said before, if you build it, they will come.
1: Do you agree with that? I do, and I think the other thing is, you know, that Chamber's all about everyone. It's, it's We call ourselves the business community because we're all about the island. It doesn't matter if you're one man in a van or whether you're a senior exec in finance. We need everyone to be involved in life here. But we need life to be good for people here. So this um, potential around super yacht, blue economy, cruise ships might sound slightly exclusive to some people, but what they have to remember is that income stream will enable better leisure boating facilities. It hopefully will help to fund some affordable housing in the big picture of things. So it will integrate with all of the needs of the community at every level. I mean, if if you don't have the money coming in through business, what are you going to do? You can only borrow, and that is long-term. That is not a great situation, is it?
0: And I, I mean, I'm not a boating person, but I do love that moment when I'm coming home on the Condor and you go up onto the deck and you see St. Peterport Harbour in the distance. Yeah, it and it looks fantastic, It's is wonderful, it? isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it
2: does absolutely look, uh, you know, coming into St. Peterport is fantastic. Well, you, you see all the islands. That's the great thing, you know, certainly if you're coming in daylight, it's not so good at night, but... Um, I was talking to somebody the other day and they about the cruise ships, you know, well, do they, you know... In fact, we were at a chamber meeting and somebody said, oh, it's £8 a head. I don't know where on earth they get the figures from. They obviously haven't done some proper research because people come here, as you do in Monaco, you know, they, they come here and they spend a day and then they think, that's a really nice place. I want to go back on holiday, even if it's a long weekend. And I don't think that that's been measured. And, you know, we have... Uh, members of the Chamber, whose business daily takings treble on the day that a cruise ship comes in you know and and, and we have another one who didn 't actually realize until this year how much the cruise industry contributed to their bottom line you know so i, d- I don 't think the proper research has really been done on what a cruise passenger brings to the island, and after all there are any, and if you build a terminal, the advantages are. Which ties in with blue economy, sustainability, environmental issues, which is they're not having to use the tenders to bring people ashore. So they're not wasting time. They're at the time they walk off the vessel to do whatever they want to do, um, but they're not using a tender or five or six tenders or whatever it is, you know, because we often see that. And just going back to Monaco, in 2003, Monaco had, I think it was 101 cruise ships arrive throughout the season. All of those had to anchor off. So that was roughly actually two a week. um, Three a week in the summer, um, none in the winter. Um, When they built the cruise line terminal, they had one uh, at the cruise line terminal and they had two or three anchored off. That was the difference. Now, Monaco doesn't need that. You know, everybody's, always, you know. But in actual fact, they still need the income from it. You know, they don't pay any tax in Monaco, the residents. Um, but they look after their local Monegasques as well. You know, a Monégasque can be s- s- living in an apartment next to somebody who's paid five, ten million for an apartment because of the way the system works. So in actual fact, all of that benefits the local economy.
0: And do you think the cruise ship passengers, uh, is that going to come back? Because obviously that industry was so badly hit by the pandemic.
2: Yeah. I, well, I heard the other day, you know, I don't know it, was, it was saying Carnival Cruises, 3.7 billion in debt, whatever. Yes, of course, people, it will come back, you know, albeit with restrictions. And at the moment there are cruise, cruises happening, but they can't get off the vessel. But people still want to do it. So just imagine what it's going to be like when they can get off. They'll, they'll come back here, you know.
0: And what sort of feedback do the super yacht people give you about Guernsey?
2: <laughs> it's very difficult to get in here because there aren't enough berths. Mm-hmm. Uh, those facilities, you know, for instance, there's not enough, um, there's, there's no power points, there's no water, you know. You go down, to, there are more large yacht berths in the south of France from Saint-Tropez, to monaco but not including monaco than anywhere else in the world wow (laughs) and that and yet they haven't built a new port i think port camille rayon in gulf joan was the last port to be built um but they've all got the facilities they've all got power against every berth, there's power there's water um and that's why and obviously people go there for the weather and i'm not suggesting that we'll get any of that not we don't necessarily want it but we do want the traffic that goes past here
0: all right, interesting. Should we talk about another issue, Kay? I think you wanted to mention something about red tape.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, that sounds really boring she after what we've yeah, been evidently. talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's just that actually your, you know, the lead story today is an issue around uh, Brexit uh, results and also population management issues. So I think what we, what we do, we don't do it intentionally badly, but what we, what we do badly by default... Mm-hmm. Is that because we don't have cohesive thinking historically, or we haven't had it historically, um, we we make it quite difficult in some instances to live and work here, you know, for business to set up. As one single example, it'll cost you £700, £800 to incorporate here. It costs you a tenner in the UK. Um, and, you know, how do you how do we justify that? Because it's actually a very simple online process. So that's those sort of things create problems. But also with Brexit, we know that there are extra layers of complexity. And actually, the, the, the state's Brexit team, Chris Morris and his team are fantastic. And they have navigated us into a very um, good position generally. But, um, there are requirements outside of their control, and so, as you see today, small businesses, particularly cleaning firms, and in fact those are not necessarily small businesses, some of those have huge turnover potentially. they cannot operate, they can't get the staff they're having to pay an extra fifty pounds per person on a regular basis to which does not sound much, but you you know you multiply that every time they need a permit, and they tend to have quite a lot of churn in that industry because people move on and do other things. I think what's sad is that when we were in lockdown and we fully appreciated... the the people who were collecting the recycling and cleaning the hospitals and you know deep cleaning areas that we use like the shops and everything else and the retail food retail in particular staff who worked every hour to to make sure that we could all still eat well and apparently drink too much at home judging by alcohol sales um but you know we really valued it and I think at the moment we might still value it emotionally we might still be with them but we're making it really hard for them to to, to actually work and to um, and for the companies that employ them to operate e- efficiently.
0: So this nine is sort of a nine months on, three months off thing. Do you think that's not going to
1: work going forwards? Well, apparently it's not. It's not being offered going forwards. And you know, the other thing is at a different level. Guernsey attracted some um, quite a high number. We're trying to find out exactly how many, but we're told potentially about three thousand additional. Residents, because of the way that we handled COVID so well. Uh, and some of those people are global players and they found Guernsey and they've moved here. And rather than, than giving them some sort of pass in terms of population management or tax regime to keep them here for at least a year so that they can then really engage with Guernsey, you know, they're getting letters reminding them that they have various hurdles to overcome to stay here. That's a really narrow mindset. Um, so why do we not actually welcome them? If they've managed to come here and are living here, and it clearly hasn't caused us an issue because school roles and various other things have not shot up, and, and you know there's no massive demand in benefits or anything, these are people who are very self-sufficient, why are we not encouraging them to stay? I, I suppose a counter-argument could be that there's there's just nowhere to live anymore, there's such a shortage of homes. I know it's a real issue, but that is a massive big picture fail, failure to invest in in appropriate social housing over the last few years, because actually the housing the Guernsey Housing Association is very good at what it does, but what it can't do is it, it can enable people to get into homes but the idea of a housing association is that that's a stepping stone to then freeing up the accommodation. No one is leaving those GHA homes because there's nowhere for them to go. So the big picture is that we're so undersupplied in terms of affordable housing um, that that, that the, the system's not working. It's something that needs urgently to be addressed and again that is in the government work plan. It's, it's sort of three or four on the, on the list of tens and we really hope that is going to be applied. And were you heartened by what you saw in the government work plan generally? I I am heartened. I think, um, you know, Heidi Salisbury, as Deputy Chief Minister is, is a, a very impressive politician as well as being actually a really, you know, g- genuinely good person. She I works call her the Energizer <laughs> bunny because I think that she just never, ever stops. She
0: never stops. I've seen her on her bike and yeah.
1: she's even like weaving in between the traffic. Yeah, yeah she's <laughs> terrific. And, you know, I think, I just hope she gets the support she deserves to actually make something happen. When the first draft of the plan came out, it was very generic, and you know, Chamber did say at the time, this sounds great, but how are you actually going to do it? And I think, um, politically, I think we, we're quite irritating sometimes because our message is always, yeah, this sounds great, but how are you going to do it? But it's a serious point because if you don't let the Chamber of Commerce and more broadly business people um, guide you as to how you make things happen, uh, the state sector, with every good intention, does not... Um, is not able to deliver tangible results very often. It just is not in, in their operating ability to do that. They can come up with fantastic policies. And actually, the current p and are doing some fantastic work in terms of uh, there is some cost-shedding going on behind the scenes, and it's impressive. But, you know, they need business input to make things happen and to have an economic understanding of what, what works where's the money going to come from, is always the question that we, you know, we put forward. I suppose there has to be process, hasn't there, that people go through? Yeah, definitely. There have to be frameworks. But I'm just thinking, you know, the whole Blue Economy piece, John. Yeah. Um, I think what's amazing, and what I still love about Guernsey, I'm always, you know, I'm hugely... Proud of Guernsey, actually, although I get frustrated with it sometimes. I was paddle boarding off Portla at the low tide last weekend. Was on my board for hours, went all round Rockane, had a great because the weather was perfect. And you know, there is it is such an idyllic place to be. It costs nothing to go to the beach. So whatever your situation here, you know, with the family or whatever, and there are some really stretched. Uh, families here who are struggling but at least our natural environment is really nice but I I just hope we factor in all the sort of sustainability green initiatives because the blue economy doesn't sound as appealing if you call it the sort of slightly murky brown economy does it if we don't keep our waters clean and look after all of the natural resource that we have.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, we are trying to get the support of somebody. I can't say who it is yet because I haven't had a full conversation. She's agreed to a conversation, but she's a very important person within the maritime world. Um, She's held very senior positions within the International Labour Organization and uh, at another one now, which I won't name. But um, she's very interested. She wants to collaborate with us as a as a state um, on the blue economy, so i've got a call with her next week we 'll see where it goes, but she's very keen so I can't say any more at this stage, but maybe that's something. You Probably can let that. us know
0: in the future. Yes. Yeah. And, and picking up on your point, Ko, I, I always think when you're in the sea and you look back at Guernsey, you know, even if you've just gone for a dip and you look back at Guernsey, you do sort of
1: realise how wonderful it is here and how lucky we are. Mm-hmm. It is wonderful. I mean, one of the things that we did last week was we did a sort of brand awareness exercise at Chamber. It was partly an engagement exercise for people from ...visitor economy to just engage with corporates from other sectors... ...to listen to each other's views. So it wasn't entirely about um, just identifying wins for Guernsey. But one of the things we have to be aware of... ...is that our environment is fantastic, but but it isn't unique. You know, there are many coastal places who are which are beautiful. So you have to have that awareness in mind... ...that we can enjoy where we are and value where we are. But in terms of Guernsey PLC and economic value and activity... We we do need something else, which is where you know John's really valid point comes in. And actually, the other things are that you know we haven't invested in the harbour for years. We know that, for instance, the Fisherman's Key is in a terrible state. There are bits of the harbour that are in terrible states that don't even comply with required um, national legislation or international legislation. But I'm going to throw in a bit of a curveball here because um, in 25 square miles. We also need to look at all forms of travel and transport connectivity. And I I have never been an advocate for extending the runway, which has annoyed some of my colleagues, I can tell you, because they've always said there's a case for it. But there is now a way to do it within the existing boundary to meet um, required safety standards. So, you know, the perimeter fence stays where it is. No beautiful valleys get filled in. We can extend that runway, which means that the freight provision, not just passenger um, convenience and and provision, freight provision can be looked at. So let's not just look at freight provision by sea. If you extend the runway, you can take larger aircraft, then suddenly it all becomes a bit more manageable. But you have to think about that also. And, And we're told that can be done in two years. I thought you were going to talk, talk about the state of the roads
0: recently because with the, you know, the, uh, the hold-ups on uh, Les Bank at the moment, it's, you've got to judge your... Uh, I came in on my bike, actually, this morning. I, I saw you on your bike, Kay, at the weekend, didn't I? It's a good time to be a cyclist, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah I was a bit concerned about that because I think you caught me on the wrong end of a barbecue at the weekend <laughs> on my bike. You look very zen. I was <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <also> quite zen. <laughs> yeah
0: all right (laughs) well we better leave it there but thank you so much to my guests thank you for listening don't forget you can subscribe to the guernsey press politics podcast it's on apple spotify or wherever you get your shows from and if you're feeling generous you can always give us a review i'll be back in a couple of weeks time